Good morning. Welcome to our devotional this morning on this Thursday morning. Golden Nuggets, food for thought and for the imagination. If you've been following with us, we have been talking about God's seasons and God's timings. And that is both natural, spiritual, and prophetic. And what we're looking at right now is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Of the seven feasts that we've mentioned, we've covered already the Passover, at least briefly. And as we talk about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there's several things that we have to consider. We have a lot of types and we have shadows that are developed from this feast that we can see in the life of Jesus. If the Passover represents the death of Jesus, then the Feast of Unleavened Bread represents his burial, and the Feast of First Fruits represents his resurrection. Then, of course, the Feast of Pentecost is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, anyway, if we look at this today, the feast was supposed to be seven days long. It could not have any leaven whatsoever in the bread. The people of Israel in chapter 12 of the book of Exodus had to clean every speck of leaven whatsoever in the home. The utensils and everything, it had to be cleaned out. Later on, this is a foreshadowing of Jesus' bride or the body of Christ of absolutely having no leaven in it according to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, as we look at this, there's several things that we also have to understand as far as what leaven does and what the unleavened bread uh, represented. So the unleavened bread itself represents the body of Christ. The body of Christ, not the church right now, but I'm talking about his physical body. He was promised by God the Father in the prophecies of the Old Testament in the book of Psalms that his physical body would not see corruption at his death. Normally after the body has died, it immediately begins to deteriorate. It begins to corrupt because of the blood that's inside. But Christ himself, by the time he had died, he had basically shed most of his blood out of his body so there wasn't much, if any, blood left over to begin to decay and corrupt that body. So that is one of the representations that we see on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that he would not see that corruption that most people see at the moment that they die. And uh, <clears throat> if that uh, <clears throat> Passover represented his death, then just right after the Passover, then we have the representation of Christ, the unleavened bread, his burial. And we're going to actually see in some of the Jewish traditions how it's celebrated and some of the things that are done, how they all point to everything that happened to Christ during his death, burial, and his resurrection. It says, uh, what happens to bread, <clears throat> what happened to the bread is exactly what happened to the body of Christ. It is possible to actually get an actual, accurate picture of the representation of what was happening. Now, when the Jews prepare for the making of this bread, and it is laid out, it has absolutely no leaven whatsoever. But when something is baked, there still may be a little bit of rising. It still may want to rise. So what they do is they use something to make just nothing but lines of holes piercing through the bread to prevent it from rising while it's baking. But in the baking process, 
between the stripes of uh, holes, then the bread, as it bakes, it forms stripes that actually look like they are stripes that are in the bread itself. Then you'll have other areas within the bread that have formed during the uh, baking process that are brown, like if it was bruised. So you'll see bruising on that unleavened bread. You're going to see stripes on that unleavened bread. And you're going to see piercing on that unleavened bread. And this all takes place at a combination of when they're making it and when they're baking it. And of that, then we can actually learn that that is what the body of Jesus went through. It did go through literally being scourged and his body, and well, they called it the cat of nine tails, but all those stripes that he took upon his back and on his body. And then, of course, his hands were pierced, his feet were pierced, his size was pierced. And then we have his head with those thorns that were pushed upon him, that crown of thorns. Uh, so his body was pierced. Now, we have a lot of scripture for this. <clears throat> so I'm just going to go ahead and use some of what we can. And we will continue on Friday. Now, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, talking about the bread causing or the laven causing the bread to rise up, it would say, now some are puffed up. Now, that's a good description. As though I would not come to you. Verse 19, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and you will know the power, not the power of the speech of them that are puffed up, but the power of God. The power now <clears throat> that pertains to God himself. Now, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 8, in verse 1, Now, as touching the things offered unto idols, we know that we have knowledge. But knowledge puffeth up, but love edifies. Jesus was humble, and he was lowly. That's another way to look at the bread. It would not rise. It would not go up. But it maintained that low-level state. And Jesus did say, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take of my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. So if we look at the book of Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 10, the piercing and the stripes on Jesus's body, it says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplications. And they will look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his, his firstborn. Now Isaiah painted a picture in Isaiah 53 verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And in Revelation 1.7, Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, speaking of the Jews, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Now, of course, in the book of uh, John, chapter 19, verse 34, we actually have, For the soldier did pierce him, 
But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith there came out blood and water. And this was prophesied in the book of Psalms, Psalm 22, verse 16. For the dogs have campused me, and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. And, I, and you know, David, this was not David, so he was prophesying of that which would happen to the Messiah. And of course, the crown did pierce his head, just like the nails pierced his hand and feet, and the spear pierced his side and all those stripes that were laid upon him. But Jesus is also called the bread of life. In Luke, I mean in John chapter 6 verse 48, I am the bread of life. And in Luke uh, chapter 18 verse 33, And they scourged him and put him to death, and on the third day he shall rise again. So here's something interesting, and we will be looking at this tomorrow. On how the bread, there was three pieces of bread that were considered one whole piece. And those three pieces then were separated right on the middle. They took the middle piece and they broke the middle piece. And then they took a linen cloth and took the bigger part of that middle piece and wrapped it in linen and hid it in the house. And we'll be talking about that tomorrow, since it's going to take a little bit to explain. And then they would have the children search for it, and they would be rewarded for it at the end of finding it with something sweet. Until we meet again, may the Lord richly bless you, and may He give you understanding and wisdom, and the spirit of knowledge overflow concerning His will. Amen.